apologies, really. Fa Facebook Live, doing it this way, filled with lots of glitches. Glad to have you here. Well, I guess we can, we can kick off. Hi, Margarita. Oh, we've got someone from Nashville. Hello, Nashville. Hello, Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to kick things off. Hello. Thank you very much for sharing um, your Sunday with us for the, for the next hour. My name is Brian Sheppey um, from Genealogy Adventures, and I'm joined by my lovely co cousin, Donnie Williams. Hello. How so y'all doing? Today, yep, we hope that you guys are doing well. We hope the weather is as lovely there as it is here in here in Boston, at least. And in D.C., in Maryland, it's actually very nice. Um, the weather is awesome. Hi, Cousin Myrtle. We got Texas in the house. Hey, Myrtle. <laughs> so today's discussion, we are going to talk about what it's like to reach out. You know, you've done it. it You've done a DNA test, whether it's 23andMe, Ancestry.com, Family Tree, whatever you've done, and you've reached that, you know, you realize that you're related to people who don't necessarily look like you, um, and just wondering how you can actually go about reaching out to introduce yourself, to say hello, and then start the hard work, trying to figure out how you're related, um, or if you already know how you're related, kind of... Um, how you can go about meeting each other online to share information and um, to kind of work from that. So I'm going to kick off with a couple of my own experiences, and Donnie is going to talk about her experience. For me, I mean, I've been doing I've been doing genealogy for a long time. I think collectively, Donnie and I have been doing genealogy. It's almost fifty. Almost fifty. Um, almost fifty years. And I've been doing DNA work probably for about the last six to six to seven years. So when reaching yeah, out to especially um, to white cousins, um, the link is going to you know naturally be through you know through slavery. Um, I've had some good experiences, some excellent experiences, some neutral, some bad, and some horrific ones. Um, and by and large. It's kind of hit or miss, and kind of what we'd like to explore through this show is just a way of really crafting the strongest message possible um, when you meet someone from, from a different race or different, different ethnic group for the first time. And I guess what I'd really like everyone to kind of think about is we're all people. Um, slavery in and of itself has never really been, honestly, discussed. But we're all after the same thing, the reason why we're in genealogy is to find out more about ourselves and to find out more about our family. I mean, that, that's a really important thing. So I've had great responses from uh, my second relationship. I've had great responses from my own relationship. I'll use my Shepi's as an example. So Shepi is a very unusual name. I think all of us were kind of curious to see if all of us were, were actually related. So a lot of us did the DNA test and naturally Sheffy started popping up um, as, as DNA cousins. Alongside the paper trail, I understood who fathered my line. Um, and ironically enough, he himself was not an enslaver. Uh, his two brothers were enslavers, 
but he himself wasn't. And I guess in that instance, it kind of made things a lot, a lot more relaxed and a lot easier. Wipe their brow. Thank God it wasn't, you know, it wasn't my five times great grandpa that did the deed. Um, and I think I've just lost Donia. So if you hold on for just a moment. Sorry, I'm just not sure what happened to Donia. I'm just sending her an invite. Oh, are we, Kevin? Is it really, is it really bad? Can you hear me better now? Okay, um, for the I guess I'm gonna go for the, for the time being. Uh, so with my chefies, like I said, it was a really interesting kind of dynamic because all of my white relations, they were going to be cousins anyway. Uh, the person who fathered my line was their uncle. So they could kind of be a lot more relaxed about it. And, you know, the, we set up this Facebook group for the Sheffy family. Everyone started kind of piling in. And we just got a really good rapport. You know, we got, we got a very, very good rapport going. And they were very, you know, one of the really positive things about doing it that way is they had information that I didn't have. So things like probate, things like wills, documents that had never been digitized, uh, deeds that had never been digitized. So it was a really good conversation. Oh, hi, Barbara. Thank you. Um, I'm still trying to invite Tanya. I, I will try. I will try to get her back again. I'm just sending her another invite. And it doesn't. It looks as though I'm going to be doing it solo. Um, so again, my apologies for that. But I think that there was a couple of secrets to secrets to the my success. <clears throat> when I first approached my white chefy cousins, um, I wasn't looking for an apology. Um, I guess everyone's going to have a different viewpoint about it, but the way that I felt about it was, I can't expect descendants of slave owners who lived 150 years ago, 200 years ago to apologize for something that a mutual ancestor did. Um, and it's worth bearing that in mind, as much as the, the people we're talking about were my white cousin's ancestors, they're also, he was also my ancestor as well. And we kind of knew the hows, the hows and whys of it. Um, but I think that kind of mitigated the, the awkwardness. But again, what I wanted to say is, um, I didn't expect an apology. And it's not for them to apologize. Um, if people wanted to apologize, that's fine. I can take the apology. But that was that was never the reason why I got into this, or that I wanted to, to reach out and contact them. For me, it's always about information. Um, not everyone's going to have the information that I need or that I want, but the likelihood is they may do. And the more amenable that I am when I send my message, the likely the likelihood is that they're going to appreciate that and, and actually want to engage with me. So again, to kind of recap, I didn't expect an apology. Anytime I contact my white, my white DNA cousins, it's about information. So Dong and I, we laugh about it a lot, but you know, my, my kind of point is, I don't expect, except I don't expect an apology, but I don't expect to be put on people's Christmas lists. I don't expect birthday presents. 
I don't expect anyone to pay for my student loan. I am literally all about the information. So if someone has deeds, documents for their ancestors, letters that happen to mention my enslaved ancestors, photographs, because that has happened. People have had photographs of, um, of some of my enslaved ancestors. All of that is like gold dust for me. Um, and for me, again, it, it really, really is all about the research. And I suppose some of the things that I would, would like to share um, is perhaps some, some of the reasons, I guess, why I'm, I'm successful at making those introductions. Uh, and I would probably say by and large, I get responses from six out of 10 people that, I'm, that I contact online. And that's whether it's ancestry.com, 23andMe, or family tree. I'm always very specific. I say exactly how I'm related to them um, if, I, if, I'm, if I know it. So for instance, if I'm contacting someone about the blogs family, I can say hi. I'm, I'm, start, I'm trying, Donya. I really, really am. Um, can you actually, Donya, this might be the, be the thing to do. If you come out of the video, stop watching the video and then come back in, I might try to re-add you. I, I can probably try to re-add you that way. Um, so what was I saying? Um, sorry, that kind, of, that kind of threw me for a bit. So, oh, so normally I get replies from six out of 10 people. And I'm always very specific in the message that I send them. So for instance, I have an enslaved five times great grandfather named Joe, Joe Bloggs. And I see that I'm matching a lot of white blogs. You know, I've done my research. I've traced the journey of Joe Bloggs from one family member to another through probate, through people's wills, through their slave deeds, whatever documents that I can have. Um, and then funnily enough, you know, if he's still living in 1870, I can see him living pretty, usually pretty near to the people who have enslaved him at last. So I have a lot of information to go with. So when I contact a white DNA cousin, I'll say, you know, specifically Joe Bloggs, who married Susan Smith. Joe Bloggs was born 1805. He died 1883. Had the father, you know, had however many children that he had. I'll have his, I'll, I'll have their names. I'll say the county that they were living in, the state that they were living in. And again, a lot about the white family who, who helped them. So because I can actually give very specific information, can start inquiring about who might've been his father, you know, and start, you know, really start whittling down to the list and then working with DNA. And I can usually break it down to maybe, you know, two or three brothers or maybe uncles or whatever uh, kind of information. So by being very specific, giving a lot of contextual information, trying to explain how I've gotten from A to B to narrow down two or three white gentlemen who um, are the strongest candidates to be his father. I can actually start working with people um, to find out more, um, to find out more about where Joe Bloggs was living, um, what other families um, might've been enslaved by the same family, trying to figure out who his siblings were, if he had any, who his parents were, you know, maybe finding out the name of his mother, sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, all the rest of it. So I'm just gonna try to get Donya back. Nope, still can't do it. 
which again for me is is really really good contextual information. When I the very first I think actually it was it was a chefy who was my the first DNA cousin that I actually sent on um, a message to, and I hope that this trick is something that that's really helpful for people. I try to use the most neutral tone possible. Hi Teresa, I welcome. Um, I try to use the most neutral tone. So I actually read my message out loud and I thought, well, that kind of sounds a bit funny. That might come across as a bit passive aggressive, not really sure if I want to use that word. There might be something better to use. So I did, I just read it, you know, I read it out aloud, did some tweets, phoned up a friend, read it out to them. And it's like, well, if you receive this, how would, you know, how would it make you feel? Do, you know, do you feel as though I'm attacking you? Do you feel as though I'm blaming you for anything? Do I come across as angry, resentful, or just a person who wants to know more about my family history? Um, and when I was satisfied that that was the context of the message, that's when I sent it. Um, and my cousin, Bill, who's wonderful, he's wonderful. He just cracks me up every single day. I can't imagine, um, I really wish I had met him years ago because uh, he is quite the character. He's so funny and he's so helpful and he's so enthusiastic about the genealogy. Um, so I was very, very lucky that, uh, he, that he was literally the first, the first person that I messaged that way. And he was great, um, you know, he got it. Um, he thought that there was no need to, you know, there wasn't an expectation to apologize and, you know, he was open, I was open, that, that was a really, really good uh, first step for me. Um, all of my chefy cousins have just been brilliant. Um, I almost wish that we had a, a chefy family kind of playbook to make these kind of conversations and make these kind of introductions better. So again, before you push the send button, read it to yourself. If you're still not sure, read it to someone else. Um, I've got you done yet. I'm gonna try you again. No, it keeps saying that you're invited. That's it. I guess once you've been invited, that's it. Um, I'm happy to carry on or we can end it and hopefully <laughs> pick this one up again. But if not, I'm going to carry on. So I was really spoiled with my, the chefies really spoiled me in terms of the helpfulness, um, even though, you know, meeting them for the first time um, in person in Virginia was also, it was just a powerful and really amazing kind of journey because again it's the the first time that those different sides of the family have been brought back together since the mid 1800s um, and in getting to know them kind of uh, learned a lot more about the kind of chef what i call the chefy quirks um, that i thought was just kind of unique unique to my family so again that was a really positive powerful thing I have another set of white cousins called the Rones. And by and large, the, the Rone family have also been absolutely brilliant to get to know. Um, I've met three different groups of them in person, one lot in, uh, two lots in Virginia, one lot in uh, Louisiana. They had a lot of missing information that, um, that I didn't have. I thought that you know, my ancestor, George Henry Rone, was the only child uh, for his mother. Come to find out that he had brothers and sisters. They had a little bit of information, you know, they had information I didn't have on his siblings and on his mother. So that, again, that was really helpful. Um, to say that the Rones were generous, um, you know, 
inviting me into their homes, showing me around, sharing the family information that they had, kind of finding out that the Roan family are a bunch of characters. Again, I thought that was just my Roans, but come to find out they really were a bunch of characters. And that was a really lovely kind of experience for me. And I know the word healing kind of gets bounced around a lot. And I'm still not sure if that's really the best word to use, but it really did open up a dialogue with, um, with people that I probably wouldn't have met any other way apart from the fact that we share DNA, we share common ancestors, and we share in some parts a common family history. And it's really been kind of an amazing journey to kind of roll that back and, and to find out as much as I can. Um, and in turn, you know, they kept so many of their records. And again, they were just so helpful and so open about sharing what they knew. Um, and they really did want to help. That's not to say all of my Rome cousins were the same way. Um, there were some who are still in denial that I'm related to them, that my family's related to them. Even though we have the DNA workup, uh, we've got the paper trail, they know that certain people were within their, our mutual ancestor sphere. We can see them on deeds, we can see them on wills, they, you know, we can see them in letters and journals. They can see this, uh, the DNA segment work that was done to show exactly you know, what, you know, where the, that Rhone DNA sits, sat on each one of the chromosomes. There's still people who resisted. Um, I have Rhones who are white supremacists. They're just like, well, you may be related to us, but you're not one of us. And again, you know, that's just part and parcel of the journey. You just kind of have to suck it up. Some people are going to be on board. Some people aren't. Everyone's got their different journey. Everyone's on the journey at a different stage. Some people are ready to hear the message. Some people are receptive to hearing it. Other people aren't. Um, I guess my argument to those who aren't would be, if you find out or you've always known that you are a descendant of a slave owner, you have to be prepared to find out that you are gonna have either co cousins who would identify as African-American, Black, or people of color. Um, especially if you're doing DNA testing. You just have to be prepared for it. You may not like it. I don't think anyone really, you know, people are gonna have different feelings about that. But you do, you know, you, you, you should be prepared. It should almost be a given. As I said, if you find out that you come from a long line of people who enslaved people, and it's not, you know, they didn't have to have massive plantations. Most of my enslaved ancestors they weren't on massive plantations. They were on small farms. They were held by families who would hold maybe 20 or less enslaved people, um, which again was, was quite the journey for me. Uh, Donnie and I, um, so that's kind of using those two examples. I would use another example uh, on ancestry. Uh, there's a lot of, I have a large number of enslaved people in Edgefield and all of them were mulatto. I mean, I've got thousands upon thousands of ancestors and ancestral kin on the Edgefield part of my tree. Um, that when you go really back into that early period, the late 1700s to the early 1800s, they're all listed as mulatto, pretty much all of them. So that mulatto means they're gonna have European ancestry kind of spoiled by my Sheffies and my Rones. I just reached out to this woman on Ancestry. 
Uh, we share common families like Harling, Oots, Dorn, Timmerman. So again, you know, like I said, I was on a high, did my little standard, really friendly, really open, um, very detailed message on ancestry explaining exactly how we were related. I get a message back going, I don't, I'm not related to black people. There are no black people in my family whatsoever. It get explained again how we were related and I got a message back going, well, ancestry must have swapped your DNA test to someone else's. And that kind of, that rocked me for a little bit. But in fairness, Donia did tell me that this particular lady was going to have that response. Um, Donia had had a very similar experience with her. And I have to admit that that did knock me for a bit and it did really make me kind of reluctant to reach out to, um, to my white DNA cousins. But since then, um, I have done. And as I said, usually I'll hear, you know, for every 10 messages that I send, I'll get a response back from about six people. Um, mostly positive. Um, some are quite curious, some are hesitant, but again, they kind of take the cue from me because my tone when I'm speaking to them, you know, even if it's just typing a message, it's relaxed, it's open, it's friendly, it's inquisitive. And by inquisitive, I mean, you know, what, you know, what records are you aware of that are within your family that might help either me or other people researching their family? Like I said, um, people will mirror back to you what you give them. It's like any other part of life. Um, think about your work colleagues. What work colleagues do you like? What work colleagues do you perhaps not necessarily not like, but not necessarily really want to work with? Maybe the ones that you like better are the ones who, I wouldn't necessarily say friendly, but helpful, respectful, um, polite as opposed to ones who might be hostile or a little bit bitter or a little bit edgy. Um, and again, that all goes back to the kind of persona and how, you know, how we approach one another. And I would also say that you know, as a result of doing this, we've had a wonderful, I've had, like I said, I've had wonderful, wonderful experiences, opportunities, conversations. I'm literally in the middle of um, meeting descendants of Patrick Henry for the first time. And just like my Rones, it's been 50-50 so far. So the more liberal Henrys who live on the West Coast, amazing. I've had amazing conversations with them. They've been a joy to meet, a joy to get to know. You know we're planning all kinds of things involving me and the, the Henry family, which is, which is really awesome. Um, to the point where I hope that my ancestral line will be the first officially recognized African-American descendants of Patrick Henry. It's one of the goals, that's one of the goals that I'm working towards. Um, <laughs> yes, Don is talking about the, the size of my tree. I get contacted all the time because I, I think I'm now at about 103 people in my, in my family tree. So yeah, I get messages galore. Um, but I also like to think that, you know, between the blog and, you know, interviews that I've done, things, you know, what I post on Facebook and social media, that people know that I am open and that I am respectful. I mean, if you, you know, if you're going to give me a hard time, I'm going to give you a hard time back kind of a thing. But if you approach me with respect, you approach me, you know, in a friendly kind of open manner, that's exactly how I'm going to be, you know, be right back at you. 
Um, I like to help people. You know, this is one of the reasons why I'm in genealogy. I mean, I love the mystery. I love being able to help people. Um, I love being able to bring different parts of the family back together again. And I know that Donia, you know, Donia shares that same passion, that same interest. And again, you know, other than information, initially, not looking for anything else. You know, over the course of time, as we get to know one another, if we get the opportunity to meet up and that, that's a mutually desirable thing, then that's cool. And I'm sure that Donia is going to remind me as well. I was speaking about the lady from South Carolina who was adamant that she wasn't related to, to black people or people of color. For every one of her, I also have DNA cousins. Um, I won't say her full name, but cousins like Sharon, who also has deep roots in Edgefield, um, who is white. And she is, to say that she is lovely is an understatement. She is lovely, she's enthusiastic, She's helpful anytime that any one of us asks um, Sharon to do a lookup for us on information, she's there, she's in there. You know, she really, really wants to help. Um, oh, thank you, Martha. <laughs> thank you for, that, uh, for the comment. And I think the more that people understand and accept the reality that America is a diverse country, it's been diverse since day one, our ancestry is intertwined. I don't care if you're black, I don't care if you're white, I don't care if you identify as Native American or Hispanic. Because again, I always give a shout out to my Hispanic brothers and sisters. Mestizo Americans, they were here before anyone else was. All the way down from Florida, all the way over across into Texas, all the way up into Colorado, all the way over to, to California. All of those states that have all those funky kind of Spanish sounding names, that's how long they've been here. So no matter what you identify with, the story of America is so complex. It's what I personally find fascinating about it. And genealogy and DNA is just all mixed into there. And I think the more that we're honest about that, my hope, and I might be naive at this, is I really think that that's the way that we can kind of start walking across that bridge that we call the racial divide. Um, we can start finding more common ground rather, rather than differences. I know Sharon is amazing. <laughs> um, and I really, really honestly believe that. Um, as I said, everyone is on a different journey. Everyone's on a, a different stage within their journey. But I really do honestly hope that, that we can get there. And I want to give props and a special shout out to a Facebook group that I absolutely love. And it's called the Beyond Kin Project. I'll repeat that. They're called the Beyond Kin Project. Now they, and it's also a website. If you Google the website, and I'm, I'll also add, add a link to it here. That group is all about bringing the descendants of slaves and the descendants of slaveholders together. And it's doing a lot of work with the descendants of slaveholders who may have information that would be vital to African-American genealogical research. So again, it could be things like, because not everything is digitized, not everything is publicly available, not everything is in an archive. Some materials are still held privately within, within families. So if you go to the Beyond Kim Project Facebook page, you'll see someone say, I just realized I'm a descendant of, a, of an enslaver. Um, I have deeds, I have wills, I have pictures. 
I don't know what to do with this information, but I know it's going to be absolutely invaluable um, for people's research. And basically, the Beyond Kin project gives people a format and a formula to be able to uh, share that kind of information online. Um, how to be able to attach it to tree, family trees and everything else. <clears throat> now, any of you who are, who are already familiar with the Beyond Kin will also know that it's not easy representing an, a, a slavery kind of family history using family trees. But if you can wrap your head around what I call the Beyond Kin uh, format, it's, really, it's, it's a really, really good thing. Kevin, uh, what would you like to know about my Jewish connections? So I've just noticed a question. I only mentioned that, Kevin, because my Jewish connection, which is my mother's paternal uh, grandfather, he was never an enslaver. That that was a completely different. That's a completely different scenario. So while I'm waiting for what while I'm waiting for Kevin to post his question, um, so again the Beyond Kin thing, and I have to say I'm really impressed. Uh, there's a couple of kind of slavery genetic and uh, genealogy Facebook groups, and I am seeing more and more descendants of enslavers asking exactly the same question. I've come across, thank you, Donnie, for sharing that link. <clears throat> yes, Kevin, um, I have actually. Uh, so to kind, of, to kind of explain what Kevin's asking about, I did a DNA test and recently found out that my, one of my great grandfathers was Jewish. He was supposed to be Irish, that's what we heard. That was the family story that my grandfather was the son and his sisters were the children of a big burly Irishman. Um, but come to find out, he was a Jewish man. Um, thankfully, he was a Jewish man in Washington, DC, which has a much smaller Jewish population than say New York or Chicago or uh, any of the big cities. But it still took about three years to work out exactly who, um, who his father was because my great grandmother was very secretive about that. Um, so this past year, uh, actually right before Christmas, um, a couple of my uh, Jewish cousins um, from the Cohn family reached out, um, contacted me. We've had many, many phone conversations and they've been thrilled. Um, it's kind of opened that door to stories that the older generation of the family were kind of keeping quiet because they knew that they had mixed race relations out there, but they, you know, within the greater DC area, but they didn't know anything about them. My family didn't know anything about the Jewish side of the family. Um, but they, again, they have truly, truly been wonderful people to get to know. They've been amazing people to speak with. They're really excited. We're really excited. You know, even them showing us photographs of their aunts and uncles. I'm like, oh my God, that's my aunt, you know, that's my aunt Jean, or that looks just like my mom, or that, you know, that looks like a, another one of my aunts, or I can see a picture of their uncles, and it's like, oh my God, that's my grandfather. It's like he's a clone. So now we know where we get our nose from, and like uh, other features, and we kind of laugh about it. And some, again, they, ha they have genuinely, genuinely been wonderful people to know. Um, and we're still in contact. Uh, actually, we're working together to push the family story back to, you know, we know that we come from a place called Beris, Berislav in uh, Belarusia. 
uh, which is just out, outside of Minsk. Um, so we're working, actually, we're working collectively to push the family story back because they know very little um, past our two times great grandparents. After that point, it's just um, it's just a black hole of information. So we're all very excited working together to to push that story back. And again, that's you know part and parcel of what genealogy is about is bringing people together to to kind of solve these mysteries. Ah, yeah. Now I've got to go to temple, but I'll I'll tell you what. It also explains my love of Jewish soul food. Um, give me gefilte fish and all the rest of it, and I'm a, I'm a happy camper. Everyone else thought I was a bit odd for liking it. Now I can say it's genetic. It's in my DNA. Um, Donning is going to laugh. So you know, genetically, I'm predisposed to like grits, but um, we're still we're still working on that one. Um, I can hear her laughing in the background already. Um, any, but any questions about, you know, how many of you have reached out to DNA cousins of a di different ethnic group or, or a different race? What would, you know, if you want to share your experiences, were they good? Were they not necessarily good? Were they helpful? Are you, you know, are you working? Are you working together? Um, I'd, I'd really love to hear what your experiences have been. Um, if anyone has any questions about kind of information that you feel as though you should be putting in, in your initial messages, I would I would love love to hear those too. Um, because, like I said, this this is a really important journey. Um, it's really something that I think. Oh, sorry, someone's just typing a message. <laughs> All right, Kevin, what's your message? <laughs> what's your what's your question? Um, I would probably say one of my more unsettling, um, actually, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do another positive. Again, on the room side of the family, um, someone popped up. He was a, an elderly gentleman. Um, I think he was, um, at that time he was either 79, 80, 81. He was about, he was around that mark. And he gave me his telephone number and he's like, I would love to chat. He's like, you've clearly done a lot of work on the Rowan family. You know more about it than I do. Um, and I just want you to kind of go over with me. You know, it's like, I can see your records. I can see, you know, I can see the, the detail of the information that you've added. He's like, and I just really like to talk to you about it because I've got a lot of questions about our common ancestor. So I'm like, yeah, sure. Just shoot me your telephone number and let's have a, let's have a conversation. So pick up a phone to this gentleman and his exact words were to me, he's like, look, I'm the age that I am. I don't know what your race likes to call itself, but I come from a certain generation and I'm not really sure what the political correct term is. And I'm like, well, I'm sure that the one that I would probably find the most objectionable, it doesn't seem like that would be the word that you would use. But if you want to call me black, if you want to call me mixed or whatever, that's fine. That's cool. It's like, I get it. He introduced himself to me as an unreconstituted North Carolina Appalachian Mountain redneck. Those were his exact words, which made me burst out laughing. But it was kind of cool. I'm like, all right, I kind of knew, I'm, you know, I got an idea of the generation that you're coming from. Now you're giving me a couple of other pieces of the puzzle. Let's just have a conversation. And do you know he is one of my most favorite cousins to speak to? He's still with us, God bless him. Um, I speak to him every month, and without fail, he cracks me up. He is, you know, he may not use politically correct terms, 
for us. Um, I don't mind being called a Negro. Some people would get all upset about that. The man is 80, 80 something years old now. Um, but he's respectful and he's funny and he's got amazing stories. And I found out so much about his side of the family. He's found out so much about my side of the family. Um, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to change him for all, for, all the, for all the tea in China. He is a genuinely lovely human being. Um, and it's been wonderful to, to meet him. Now, recently on Facebook, um, kind of got into it a little bit with um, a gentleman on the, on the South Carolina genealogy page. Because uh, Donnie and I, I'm sure many of you know, we have this Sheila Hightower um, DNA fund going. Uh, it's the foundation where basically we're uh, collecting donations to be able to buy uh, DNA kits for people who have roots in Edgefield to figure out how we're related. Um, and these kits will be free, you know, uh, basically for a $10 donation, you will get a DNA kit. Um, we don't care if you're white or black or, or any of that, you just need to have deep roots in Edgefield for us to understand, because the whole county is related. And that's part of this project is to prove that the whole county is related. So I posted just a little something about the the, the fund and what it was for and what we wanted to do and what we, what we wanted to achieve and that the whole of actually what's called old 96 in South Carolina is related. Well, this gentleman just flat, I was like, well, no, I don't believe it. It's a lie, not having it, not having it. And his last name was Williams. Um, and I'm sure those of you who've read my blog, I've written extensively about Moses Williams. It's a, my four times great grandfather, Donya's four times great grandfather. Um, the man had 45 kids, 40 girls, five boys. Um, you know, he lived to be 115, lived in three different states, so he had kids all over the place by, by two women. So he's a descendant of a man called Daniel Williams II, um, who was both his father and his enslaver. Anyone who knows about anything about the Williams family of North and South Carolina knows that that is a highly endogamous family. We're cousins, we're marrying cousins. They were a wealthy family, they were a prominent family, they married into other prominent families um, that spread throughout the whole of the old 96 region, as well as a huge chunk of North Carolina. So I clocked his name and I was like, you know what? Your last name is Williams. I bet you anything that we're, that we're related. So he comes back with, I'm a descendant of Daniel Williams. And I mentioned that, I was, uh, that Moses was the son of Daniel Williams which he said that he was and that he, you know, he had DNA to prove it. And the inference was that I didn't, but I was basically speaking bollocks. So sorry for the language on a Sunday. Um, so I fired back, well, I've got a DNA test and my DNA test says that I'm a descendant of his too, which immediately flatlined the conversation. So I'm used to getting the kind of aggression, the kind of pushback, the kind of denial. But rather than respond in kind, I try. I don't. I'm not always successful. I am a human being. I'm not a saint. Um, you know, I'm not, not not Daniel from the Bible. Although sometimes I wish I were. Um, but I usually try to reply in a respectful way, or if not, um, at least in a very funny and a very humorous way. Uh, I thought that was really an interesting way to kind of attack me back. Um, but you know, I left it with him, like. Hello, cuz. Really hope that you know you become you know, that you donate your DNA results to this project because they would be really you know it would be a really useful thing for us to have. 
I don't expect he will. I don't suspect he will. Um, but the invitation was made. And as I said, I kept it polite, friendly, open uh, through the lot. <laughs> yeah, he. D I didn't want to. I didn't want to use that word on the Sunday, but yes, th that was that was the word that he did use. <laughs> Sorry, Don. Donnie was following the whole the whole exchange. Um, as I said, everyone is at a different point on their journey. People are either going to be open to what you're saying, or they're not. That's not in my control. Um, so I. One of my favorite sayings is, I don't sweat the small stuff. There's more than enough people who are open, who are willing to work work with me and others that um, it just makes for a really brilliant experience. And I'm just really, really sorry that Dong is not here to be able to, sh to share her stories. Because um, again, she's had brilliant, uh, brilliant conversations with people. She's had some not so great conversations with people. Um, I know, you know she's about, by working with, um, certain people on her Yeldell line. Uh, her Yeldells are a very tricky family to, to research. Any of you familiar with um, Super Mario's? The Yeldells are like the, the Magic Koopas. They pop up here, they pop up there, they disappear, don't know where they go, they change their names. They are a nightmare. One of the worst, one of the hardest families, I'm not gonna say worst, one of the hardest families that even I've ever had to try to research. Um, but you know, she's met some, some white cousins, um, Candace in particular, who is a wealth of information, um, generally warm-hearted person, really engaged with what we're doing, really supportive in our research. But then we have other families um, in the area that have been kind of anything but. Um, surprisingly enough, we, you know, uh, not surprising that we're related to Preston Brooks, for those of you who aren't aware of who Preston Brooks is, he was a congressman from South Carolina. He's instrumental, an instrumental person in the reason why we had a civil war to begin with. Um, unapologetic, as white supremacist as white supremacists come. Not one of, he's a great uncle of some degree for me. He's either a great uncle or a direct grandfather for Danya. Now, you would think that with that kind of a legacy, his descendants would feel some kind of way about re being related to Black people. Surprisingly, some of the ones, many of the ones that we've actually dealt with, they're not. They're cool. They're chill. Um, conversations may not happen as quickly as what we'd like in terms of finding out more about um, our ancestor, uh, well, her ancestor, my relation, Martha Brooks. Um, but I have to admit, I've been pleasantly surprised. You know, I would have thought that reaching out to them, they would have just put those shutters down immediately. But a lot of the times, you know, that, that hasn't been the case. I think if anything, they're just more interested in and intrigued um, at this point. Um, oh, yeah, sorry, I keep, I'm so busy talking, I'm not really following, um, following the, the, the messages. Um, so at that at this point, any specific questions about kind of information that you should be that you should be including? Because uh, otherwise, I'm just give you a little little summation on that one. Um, okay, little conversations going on. So what I would remind everyone: we are people dealing with people, and we whether we you know 
whether we realize it or not, language is a powerful thing, especially if you know, it's not like this where you can actually see the person speaking, they're not in front of you. So you can't really gauge facial, facial expressions um, and how they're feeling and the kind of body language cues that actually goes with language. You're just base, basing your opinion off of the words that someone's giving you. So my advice would be write a rough draft, write a first draft, read it out loud, and really challenge yourself and ask yourself, how would I feel if a complete stranger that I now know is connected to me in DNA sent me this? Um, is there anything that would make me feel uncomfortable? Is there anything that would make, I think people will try to opt out of answering things if you make it easy for them. But if the, your tone of voice is, is good, um, by that it can either be neutral, it can be friendly, relaxed, whatever. Just make sure that what you're saying can't be construed as being negative, judgmental, argumentative, abrasive, harsh, um, because no one wants to deal with that. Um, I have to because I'm a professional and I have to just suck it up, count to 10, take a deep breath and kind of, you know, here we go. But that's part and parcel of my job. That's what I put myself up for. That's what I, you know, that's what I chose. Not, you know, but Joe and Jane blogs um, who are just doing this as a hobby, they don't have to. They're like, well, that was, you know, that was a bit of a Larry kind of message to receive. I'm just, I'm just gonna, gonna ignore it. As the old saying goes, you achieve a lot more with honey than you do with vinegar and lemons. Um, and that's equally true for genealogy. So be mindful of your tone of voice read it out loud to yourself and be really, really honest with yourself. Um, if there's anything in there that would actually put someone off from responding, then read it to a family member or read, you know, read it to a friend who know, you know is going to give you honest feedback. Say, well, I know what you meant by that, but you might want to change this sentence. You might want to change, change those words would be the other thing. The really other important point, be as specific as you can. Even if your message goes on for five paragraphs, please do. I'll give you a couple, I'll give you an example. I can, I probably receive on average, how many? Eight, nine, sometimes 10 messages on, on uh, Ancestry a day. Seven to 10 messages a day because I have a huge tree. Um, and I, I, I accept that. <clears throat> and I'm going to be really, really honest. Um, I will respond more quickly to people who give me as much information about an ancestor or a kinsman in, in the tree than someone who sends me a message going, oh, I see that you have Lula Mae Gilchrist in your tree. How are you related to her? Well, I've got 20 different Lubinay Gilchrist in my tree, spanning from 1796 to 1952. Which Lubinay Gilchrist are you talking about? Are you talking about the one who lived in North Carolina? Are you talking about the one who lived in Virginia? Are you talking about the one who lived in, in South Carolina? Which one? Who did she marry? When was she born? When did she die? Who were her parents? That kind of a message is the very last message I will reply to. And I'll explain why. 
I'm deep, I'm always deep into research. And at the moment in particular, I am deep, deep, deep into research. So for every message that I receive is basically asking me to stop what I'm doing to answer a question. The easier that you make it for me to answer that question, the faster I'll actually reply to it. So if someone tells me, well, the Lula May Gilchrist was born in 1903 and died in 1962 and married, you know, Mr. Scroggs and had these kids and her parents were and they, you know, they lived in Edgefield and they went to Greenwood. Okay, now I know exactly who you're talking about. Um, and I can answer the question. Sometimes the question would be, well, how do you know that, you know, Lily May settles was her mother? It's like, well, if, you know, and then I can step them through that. You know, if you go to her page, you'll see the death certificate, you'll see the informant, you'll see the information that they provided, you know, you'll see who she's living there. That's, you know, that's how I was able to work that out. But I'm happier to, to answer those kind of questions first because someone's actually taken the time and respected my time to give me as much information as they could for me to be able to, to, answer, that, to answer that question. <laughs> yes, yes, thank you, Kevin. Please do not start with your family owned my family. Just don't. <clears throat> um, that, that shouldn't be the first thing. You need to put yourself into a context. This is my ancestor that I'm specifically asking you about. Um, this is my ancestor. This is how I'm related to them or descended from them, whether it's my three, four, five, six times, times great-grandfather. Um, now, the thing that I find particularly frustrating, and Kevin kind of touched on it without touching on it, we, because America will not and has not had an honest conversation about slavery, we don't have a language framework to discuss it. We really, really don't. Um, something that academics would probably refer to as academically neutral language. Um, we just don't. Um, I don't know all the different ways that my mulatto ancestors um, came into being. I know how some of them were. I know some of them were, I know I know that some of my female ancestors were raped. I know that some of my female ancestors were used as breeders. I also know that some of my female ancestors, enslaved ancestors chose for themselves. Um, I've seen the evidence. I've seen you know, the letters that were written to them, the love letters that were written to them. Um, I know a lot about their stories. So I know that there were those who did choose for themselves. Um, so again, it is all about being mindful of language. Um, now, when I do write to people, instead of saying that you, your ancestors enslaved my ancestors, I'll use a, a line like, my family were held by your family. That seems to be the language that, that works the best, best for me. Um, I don't know if it'll work, you know, work equally well for other people. But as soon as the, your family enslaves my family, that's one of those things that can be seen as a passive aggressive comment. It can be seen as an aggressive comment. It can be seen as judgmental. Um, and I don't want to judge descendants by something that our ancestors did, as I said, 100 years, 100 and something years ago, 200 years ago. Um, when the name of the game is about getting information first, except you may or may not decide to have, um, to meet up and to, to have um, 
family relations with people. But the name of the game is to push you push your genealogy back even further um, to make that process easier. With people who may have the, those missing pieces of the puzzle, you have to be mindful about how they're going to be, how they feel about things. Um, this is that the the easier that you that you can make that process, um, the, the better it will be. Yeah, pretty much as um, as Kevin said. You know, my goal is about finding out about our connection. Um, again, one thing that I, going back to my Jewish connection, um, I didn't realize, it never even occurred to me that I would be a carrier for Tezak. There's a lot of health, uh, health information to, to be aware of too, uh, within family traits. So found out that I'm descended for, from a Jewish, um, I've got Jewish genealogy. One of the things I did is I, I you know, I, I'm aware of certain genetic uh, diseases that that are pretty much common within within Eastern European Jewish populations, and I was aware of Tay-Zaks, and I actually went for a test. Come to find out, I'm actually a carrier for it. Now, when you have my skin tone and you have no knowledge of any Jewish connections until you take a DNA test, that's something that's not even a consideration for you. Um, as I said, I'm working very, very hard on my Henry uh, genealogy. Me and the Genealogy Adventures team, we had done enough work to figure out and identify and prove who fathered um, my line. You know, my line. And we didn't really, I didn't really go back to it to build that family tree out even further. The, the rest of the team didn't go, you know, didn't go back to that either. We'd moved on to, to other things. And I'm kind of really appreciative that I did because now I know that there are certain genetic issues within the Henry family. So I've known because cousins, bless them, just didn't stop marrying cousins. Um, when, I'm start, when I'm looking at my Henrys, my Churchills, my Spencers, my Mottrams, they just kept marrying each other generation after generation after generation to the point where the the family is very heavily skewed towards producing daughters. So I couldn't work out why I didn't have more people with the last name Henry in my trade. That was the first obvious one. Oh, okay, for whatever reason, there's a gene that produces more girls than boys. So that was one thing. I needed to figure out who the girls in the family married to start trying to trace their names. But it gets complicated, because if you have five different generations of nothing but females, those last names are changing all the time. So it's a lot of work to kind of figure that out. But then I started noticing that about 1820, there was a high level of infant mortality. Um, whole lines were going extinct. Um, and then for whatever reason, a lot of Henry descendants just didn't get married. Um, so, there's, uh, so there's a lot of kind of, um, a lot of interesting kind of thing, things that you can learn uh, and then, you know, as I've been learning more, I've been sharing it back with my white Henry cousins and like, wow, yeah, I come to think of it. There are a lot of girl, a lot of women, more women than men in my family. Do you know, I never really, I never really thought about that. Or, yeah, I've noticed that, you know, I've noticed that there are a lot of, um, don't, I don't necessarily want to say reproductive issues, but either people getting married and not having kids or getting married and their kids dying really young, infant mortality, they're like, yeah, I didn't really think about that. But, you know, 
you know, even within my own family, I can kind of see that playing out. Um, and being able to have those conversations with them has been um, a really eye-opening and really, um, really wonderful thing. Um, I can ring them up and it's like, you know, I'm really having a real issue, a real problem in figuring out who Penelope, whatever, married. You know, one of my cousins, Lewis, will be like, yeah, okay, you know, she married so-and-so, you know, these are the documents that you need and um, kind of build, building those family stories out. So, sorry, Kevin, I think I just missed a question from you. Oh, okay. Yeah, people, people talking about what's in their, their gene pool. Um, so again, that's, that's something else to, to kind of bear in mind. Um, the more I learn about the kind of white side, white descended side of the family um, and, and health issues that they may have, um, just kind of need to be mindful that uh, it's also something that, that's kind of kicking, kicking around in, in my own DNA. So sorry, I'm just mindful of the time So thank you all for, for bearing with. Um, I hope that you found that really, really useful um, information. As I said, I wish it wasn't daunting reaching out to someone who doesn't necessarily look like you. And I guess there are other qualifiers in there as well. When you start doing DNA testing, it's not necessarily meeting cousins who are, also, who are of a different race. You're gonna be meeting cousins who have a different religion than you. I mean, I'm thinking about meeting my own cousins in Louisiana for the first time. Um, again, lovely people. App, the generosity and the sincerity that they met with me was, was really heartwarming. Um, and I'm so deeply thankful to, um, to a woman called Phoebe who um, enabled that to happen. Um, I was born, you know, I was born a Catholic, you know, Roman Catholic. That particular branch of the family, Pentecostal. So again, you're going to be meeting people from a different race who pray differently than you do, who have different political affiliations than you do, um, who are just going to be different from you in, in so many different ways. And it's, about, it's all about not being judgmental. Um, you are who you are. I am who I am. We believe in what we believe in. But we share DNA. And somewhere in there, there has, there has to be enough commonality that we can kind of extend a hand across those divides um, and have, you know, and have conversations and get to meet each other. And like I said, my Sheffy family, they're kin, you know, um, I may not have been born and raised amongst them, but you know, I've gotten to know them. I love them dear, you know, and I love them dearly. I wish, all, wish them all the best. So thankful that I um, had the experience to, to get to know them. So they are part of, you know, they are part of my family. I know that I'm part of their family. Um, as other kind of newer chefies are finding out about um, their, their black relations and, and meeting us on Facebook. I think because by now, I think, I think we've known each other and been speaking and corresponding for at least four or five years now. You know, they know, you know the other, members of the extended wife family, they, they know that we're not gonna bite their head off, um, that they're, they're blackened and cousins and African-American cousins, you know, we're not gonna have a go at them. We're not gonna be awful to them or, you know, pointing the finger at blame. Um, you know, that has enabled them to, you know, friend us on Facebook and, and have those conversations. And, you know, it has been really, really good. 
Donnie, before I sign off, is there anything that um that I've missed? I know we were kind of chatting about what I was going to cover in the show, and thank you for that lovely comment. Is there anything that I've missed out of what we plan to discuss? Because I'd hate to leave without, I'd kick myself if I forgot something absolutely obvious. Well, while Donia, while Donia may or may not be getting back with something that I've forgotten, um, I hope that that's inspired you to reach across the aisle, as it were. Hi, Teresa. Let's um, actually let's let's do one better than our own government can do. Let's let's just reach our hand across the aisle. There, there is, as Churchill said, perfect words. There's nothing to fear but fear itself. We're all people. We all have to pay taxes, whether we want to pay taxes or not. You know, we all have to go to work. If we want to keep a roof over our head, food on the table, and clothes on our back. We all have the same, you know, we all have the same issues. We, you know, we may not have the same problems or the same life experiences, but the fundamentals are always the same. I don't care what you look like you know, on the exterior. And I wish more people would we think about that. We worry about our kids. We worry about our kids' education. We worry about their future. We worry about the future of the planet, our country, everything. There's actually more that unites us than actually divides us. Um, oh, yes, thank you. I almost forgot about the next show. So as I wrap things up, uh, so again, our schedule slifted, shifted slightly this month because of Easter. We were normally the first and the third Sunday of every month. So we will be going back to that next month. So the next show will be the first Sunday and the third Sunday of the month, right here, four o'clock. And the next show we're gonna be talking about endogamy. Um, that wonderful practice that I've always mentioned where cousins just keep marrying cousins. Um, we're gonna kind of get into a little bit of, of why, but there's some deep, there, there are some implications that you should be aware of, especially if you're working with DNA. That kind of entangled mess of a family tree can have some real impacts on your ability to work with DNA, especially if you're working with small and short segments. Um, it can be an absolute nightmare. So we're gonna talk about that, how it can impact on your genealogy, how it can impact on your genetic genealogy, and kind of Donnie and I are gonna to talk to you about how we broke ancestry, because um, Edgefield in particular broke ancestry, uh, the way that it actually displays our family tree. So with that, thank you very much for sharing your Sunday with me. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm so sorry that we had hiccups um, this week. As I said, we're still, we're not figuring out Facebook Live, but Facebook Live is a, is a quirky, the way that we're using it is a, is a very quirky thing. 